Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you. And I'm mindful that I'm standing on holy ground and that I'm surrounded by a sacred atmosphere today. The Lord is in this place. And if this is the Sunday routine, I may start coming to Iron City on a regular basis. This, this has been wonderful. Thank you so very, very much. Brother Cody, thank you for the invitation. I'm honored by your invitation. I came to know your pastor right away upon returning to Calhoun County and immediately was taken by his uh, spiritual maturity, his love for the Word of God, his passion for the things of God. And then uh, not too long after that was that um, time that we all became very fearful for his life and was concerned about his condition when he returned from Africa. Uh, I reminded Cody not long ago that uh, he and Aaron and I actually had a meal together the day before he left for Africa. And I was just thinking about those moments we had in that time of lunch. And then he seemed so healthy and strong, came back um, a very sick man. But I, I join you in thanking God for his healing power in Cody's life. But I tell you, I'm mindful of something. I'm mindful of something that in those days in the hospital, in those seven weeks in that chair, I think the Lord dialed up the passion in this man's life and the power in this man's life. And isn't that the way he works? He takes us. Sometimes he breaks us in order that he might make us all that he wants us to be. I'm honored to be here. I love your pastor and I've come to have a great respect for this church and I thank you for your support and involvement in the Calhoun Baptist Association. I'm preaching this morning from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, a very familiar passage of scripture. You'll notice that I, in the bulletin that I've entitled this sermon, The Rivers of Living Water, Rivers of Living Water. I've been using and preaching from the New King James Version uh, for a long, long, long time, and I'll read from it again this morning. The ESV will be on the screen, but may we stand in honor and respect for the Word of God as we read John 7, starting in verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then Jesus gave a commentary on these two statements. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> I think this service has already begun to investigate our hearts and lives this morning. I know it has been a searching time for me, but I want to ask you a personal question. Are you living a life of victory? Are you experiencing in a day-by-day -day moment the, the power of God in your life? to enable you to be a Christian. Sometimes we find ourselves not on the victory side, but on the victim side, struggling, struggling to live the Christian life. 
I became a Christian when I was um, 15 years old, and I'll soon be 66, so I've been a Christian for a long time. But in the early days of my Christian life, I was not taught, I was not instructed, I didn't have anyone who was influencing me or teaching me in those formative years to really understand all that the Christian life was to be. So in the early years of my Christian life, the concept that I had of Christianity was that, that I was supposed to try to be a better person, live a better life and do good things and not do bad things and to live a life that would be pleasing to Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I struggled and I wanted to. I had a heart for God, a passion for God, a love for God, and I was thankful that I was saved, but no one was really telling me the biblical essence of the Christian life. So I found myself working hard to be a good Christian. And I came to the end of myself discovering that, that it is an, an, indeed a human impossibility to, become, to be a Christian or to live the Christian life. Yet I've seen over the years of my pastoral ministry multitudes of people who are absolutely exhausted, frazzled and worn out in their effort to live the Christian life. Let me say something to you, brothers and sisters. You cannot live the Christian life. Only one person can live the Christian life, and his name is Jesus. And it is the indwelling person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in us that enables us to live that life. That is what Jesus is getting at in this passage here. Whosoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And we're going to unpack this verse in just a moment. We may be living in a time, continuing to live in a time that we don't always understand the work of the Holy Spirit. It has been said that in Old Testament times, the sin was the rejection of God the Father and the people said, we don't want God the Father. We don't understand him, we don't need him, and we don't rely upon him. The sin of Old Testament times was the rejection of God the Father. They said the sin of New Testament time was rejection of Jesus the Son, and they nailed him to the cross. But the sin of our day is the rejection of God the Holy Spirit. And we need not be fearful of the Holy Spirit. He is our friend, uh, but yet we need to turn our attention to him. This is a passage that has great and significant historical background. Over one million Jews have come into the city of Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. When the Jews came into the city of Jerusalem to observe the, the Feast of of tabernacles, they, they, they took palm branches. They moved out of their houses and they took palm branches and they made little tents and lean-tos and they lived that nomadic lifestyle. They really went camping and they camped out under those little huts they'd made of these palm branches. And they returned to that under the direction of Leviticus chapter 23, and it becomes now a picture of that nomadic lifestyle that they lived in the wilderness when they were wandering in sin and rebellion against God. But something happened on this Feast of Tabernacles. In the Old Testament, it lasted seven days. In the New Testament, it lasted eight days. But the priest would lead a 
caravan, a parade of people down the streets of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam. And he would reach into that water in the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher. And they would march back, parade back to the temple and go to the altar and the crowd of people was surrounding and the priest would pour water into a silver funnel there on the altar. Once a day for six days that happened. On the seventh day the same procedure occurred but on this time there was no water taken into the pitcher and when they went to the, to the altar to pour out the water on the seventh day rather than having the flow of that water symbolizing life and the rejoicing of the people, which had symbolized their rejoicing and worshiping in God who had given them life. Now the priest turns an empty pitcher and nothing comes out. And there's no response. There's no shouting. There's no rejoicing. It becomes a picture of the results of the disobedience of the people of God. That whole religious formality became vacuous and meaningless in terms of its ultimate purpose. And Jesus is standing over in the shadows, watching, watching these people go through these formalities, watching these people go through this ritual. And when they came to the end and stood there after that seventh day, on that seventh day when the priest went around seven times and poured, as it were, the water, but now an empty pitcher. Jesus cried out in that context, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he was speaking to people who represent 21st century Christianity. I, I've often asked myself when I look at this text, where did these people come from? I thought about the churches they came from. I thought about the homes they came from. I thought about the personal lives they came from. Came to Jerusalem for this great feast and celebration. Looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for meaning in life, and yet nothing. I mean, they came in dead, they left dead. They came in empty, they left empty. Now, it may not be true at Ironside or Iron City, but I'll tell you something. It's true. I know it isn't true here, but it is true in many places where people will come to the house of God on Sunday morning, anticipating the man of God to open the word of God, to preach the word of God, to give an answer to life's questions, as was addressed by your pastor just a few moments ago. And when the hour concludes and the people began their way home, what has happened? Nothing. They go out as empty as they came, as hungry as they came, still asking the same questions. A number of years ago, I was sitting at a pastor's round table at Beeson Divinity School. I was invited to sit with men who are great scholars of the Bible with some others who might not have fit that category. And that's why I was there, I guess. But there were others in that group. There were older men and younger men. And it was one of the deepest conversations on theology and, and contemporary church, contemporary life and the direction we're going. And it was a meaningful time to hear these giants in the faith, these mega minds talking about the things of God. There was a young man who had just graduated seminary and had taken his first church. 
He was sitting there with us. I never shall forget when that conversation began to conclude and question time began to take place. This young man said, I need to say something. He said, I'm hearing things here today I've never heard before. He said, I need to tell you something. I grew up and, and was raised in one of the, the most well-known churches in this nation. He said, all of my growing up years, this church, this church has been held up as a model for churches across America to pattern themselves after this church. He said, I sat under the ministry of one of the most well-known preachers in this country. But he said, I left that church to go to school and to go to seminary. God has called me to ministry. And he said, when I left and entered seminary, and especially now that I've taken a church, he said, I've discovered something. I do not know my Bible. I do not know the deeper things of God. I don't understand the things that have been discussed at this table. What he was saying was, I've sat in a church one of the best known churches in the country, and yet I find myself today ill-informed, uninformed, and empty. Now folks, that's happening all across our country today. People coming hungry, thirsty, longing, looking for a word from God. Now some of you will remember 9-11 when that great terrorist event hit our country. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico at a Lifeway Christian Resources uh, board meeting. And I, I, I remember that day so well, as do all of you. But those of us in Christian work uh, began to observe uh, as the news reports came that church attendance elevated days after the 9-11 uh, attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City. And many of us began to think and talk, well, maybe this can be a turning point. This can be a time that we see people just as we've seen in war times in the past. People would go to the house of God. They would return to prayer. They would want to know what the Bible is saying about these things. But those who monitor and watch these kinds of events began to report back to us in a matter of weeks that though church attendance had reached a higher level in the days following 9-11, it began to decline. And when it began to decline, it went not back to where it was before 9-11, but lower than it was before 9-11. And some people began to ask questions, why? And so folks went out doing surveys and said, listen, you were a part of that group that went back to church now you're not going back to church. You've dropped out again. And we're seeing more that have dropped out than had dropped out previously. What's going on? And the answer, there were a number of answers, but the dominant answer that was given by those people who were questioned about having gone back to church and now have stopped going to church again, their answer was this. I went to church. Now, time of tragedy. You remember that if you remember 9-11 and, and the, that great dark cloud that hung over this nation for weeks and months afterwards. They said, I went to church. I went to church in this time of national tragedy. I went to church when fear was taking over the hearts of men and women everywhere. I went to church looking for a word from God and I did not hear one. I did not hear one. And I wonder, 
I wonder if that's where these people are right here. They had gone to this great event. They had gone looking for a word from God. Let's bring this down more to where you and I live. There are many homes represented in this congregation this morning. There are many homes represented in the churches in Calhoun County this morning. Many homes, many husbands and wives and children, many families. And I'm going to tell you something. Families come to church on Sunday mornings looking for answers. Families come to church wanting to hear a word from God. Families come to church needing to hear a word of God from God. I used to say, Brother Cody, when I was a pastor, I would often observe people coming into the parking lot uh, just about church time when they were coming. And I, I said, I've seen a few cars park in the church parking lot on Sunday morning that looked, that reminded me of these ballpark Frank commercials. I don't know if they're still running, but when they, these things are cooking and they kind of pop the, 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 the cooker out, you know, the bang, bang. Obviously, you haven't seen those commercials, but they... Um, <laughs> It's, just, it's like the cars got dents coming from the inside from the explosions that are happening within the car. I mean, their mom and dad are at each other and mom and dad are at the kids and the kids are at the parents. But when the doors open and the feet are on the ground of the parking lot, it's like they're little saints. See, I mean, they've just absolutely transformed. And you're still not with me on that one. But um, what I'm saying is they... For, would you agree with me that home is the toughest place to be an authentic Christian, to live out your Christian faith? Because nobody knows us like our spouse knows us. Nobody knows us like our children knows us. And they know when we're real and when we're not real. Families are coming looking for an answer. I wonder, that's what Jesus is saying to these people. You haven't found the answer and looking at all of this ritual routine. Listen, it's not going to church that makes you a good Christian. It's not doing religious things. Religion is man reaching up to God, building a ladder up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man, coming to us, meeting us at our point of need. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You've tried all of this religious stuff, but if you really thirst, come to me. For he who believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I want to bring this down one more level before we move away from it, and that is just the individual life. Never mind the congregations, never mind the home. That's, we've addressed that, but there are individuals sitting here today who are looking for answers as well. There are three truths that come out of this passage, and I'm going to touch on them very briefly. And the first one is that there is a condition described <clears throat> There is a condition described. Once Jesus concludes describing the condition, he then gives an appeal. The appeal has come to me. And then he concludes with a promise. I want us to look briefly at this, this condition that he describes. And it's a very simple one, but it's a very important one. I began by asking you a question. Are, are you satisfied with where you are? Are you living a life of victory? Do you know the power of God in your life? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And I think each and every one of us would say that's something we want. But how do we get it? How do we get there? How do we enter into this living water? How do we experience what Jesus is offering in this text. And he gives us the operative word. He describes the condition. He says, if any man thirst, thirst, thirst. 
I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest challenges we have in our Christian life is that we become satisfied with where we are. We stop desiring. We stop longing for. We stop hungering for. We stop thirsting for. Some time ago, I heard John Piper give a lecture on the life of Jonathan Edwards. He gave a series of lectures on a series of men from the past. But I remember his lecture on Jonathan Edwards in a particular way because he emphasized how passionate Jonathan Edwards was, Jonathan Edwards was for the things of God. He described in detail Edwards' pursuit of God. And I can still remember John Piper coming to the conclusion of this message, this lecture on this great man of God from the past, talking about his life and his impact and, and, and his godliness, his holiness, his Christ-likeness. And Edwards looked, I mean, Piper looked across the audience to those pastors to whom he was speaking, and he raised this question, how many of you, how many of you are laboring to know God that way? How many of your people are laboring to know God that way. You see, these, these deeper things of God do not come to us fortuitously. They do not come to us without some kind of effort, without something on our part. There has to be something going on in us that responds, a need in us that responds to the appeal of Jesus. If any man thirsts, when I was a student at Sanford University, I skipped class one day to go to a Christian life convention in Birmingham to hear a man by the name of Stuart Briscoe preach the word of God. And a great Englishman, a wonderful preacher and expositor of God's word. And I sat there as a college student listening to this man open the word of God. And he said something that I'll never ever forget. I wrote it in the fly leaf of my Bible that morning, but I will never forget what he said. And I want you to hear this this morning. Briscoe said, God meets man on the level of his desire. A man can have as much of God as he wants. God meets man on the level of his desire. God meets us where we hunger. God meets us where we thirst. God meets us where we long with him, for him, with an insatiable longing. God meets man on the level of his desire. A friend of mine in Scotland, an older man now, a great preacher, Eric Alexander, said, we need to learn, listen to this statement, we need to learn that the blessing of God is not a cheap commodity lightly dispensed. The psalmist put it this way, as the deer pants for the water brooks. And we can see the hunters after this deer, this deer running for its life and it's run and it has run and it has run from the, from the hounds of the hunters until its tongue is hanging out, till it's fully dehydrated and it's ready to drop. It has been running for its life. And you can see that imagery. And the psalmist says, when we hunger and thirst and pant for the things of God as the deer pants for the water brooks, it is then that God will satisfy us with himself. God gives us an invitation to come to him. I love what Brother Cody did as he reflected back over this past year. Only a pastor could speak as he spoke and say it in the way he said it and describe with such clarity how pastor feels about the pains of his people. 
Jesus is looking at a group of people on this occasion and his heart is going out to them and he's saying, listen, you're struggling and you're suffering and you've come through this ritual so many times looking for an answer, looking for an answer, looking for an answer and always the picture comes up empty and you go away in the same condition which you came. But if you'll come to me, I think the great picture of what, how this story concludes is when we see Jesus at Jacob's well sitting there with this woman who had been married five times and was living with a man who was not her husband. She had drank at so many different wells, drinking at this well and drinking at that well and drinking at another well, trying to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. And Jesus speaks to her and he says, I can give you a water, I can give you a drink that if any man drinks the drink that I offer, he will never thirst again. And that woman looked at Jesus and said, oh, sir, sir, give me a drink of that water. Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning, church? There has to be on our part a hungering and a thirst. So he gives an appeal. I mean, he, gives, he describes the, the condition, but then he gives an appeal. And the appeal is this. He cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. And he cries this, this word out to the people, come to me, come to me, come to me. Do you know that the Jewish teacher never sat down to teach? Only an imperial herald would stand up to give a message. And Jesus is standing here looking across this crowd and he's giving them the invitation to come to me. I want you to notice, you already know this, but I want to remind us all, he didn't say come to church. He didn't say come to some religious ceremony. He didn't say come to anything else. I could give you a list. He said come to what? Me. Come to me. Have you found Jesus to be totally sufficient for every aspect and every area and every need of your life? Come to me. People are going to all kinds of things today, all kinds of places, going to all kinds of people. But I tell you, Jesus is the only one that holds the answer for what you and I need. Do you agree with that, church? Come to me. Now I'll close with this last little point here that Jesus makes. He, he says, if anybody does come to me, if they come to me and believe in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now I've read that verse many, many, many times. And I don't think until recently that I really understand the full measure, the full impact. In fact, I don't want you to do it now. I want you to listen to me for two or three more minutes. But sometime read Ezekiel 47 and read about that great river of Ezekiel where Ezekiel saw a river and a man was measuring, had a line in his hand, was measuring the length and depth of that river. And he measured it once and it was ankle deep. Measured it again, it was knee deep. Measured it again, it was waist deep. Measured it again and it was over Ezekiel's head. There's a great, a great message to the Christian life in Ezekiel 47. But I just want to think about a river for a moment. Do you have an imagination? John Phillips used to say, use your sanctified imagination. I want you to follow me on a little journey 
for a moment. We're going to go down to South America and we're going to go high up. We're going to go high up above the snow line on the Andes Mountains. We're going to just keep going higher and higher and higher. As we walk aground, around on the precipice of that great uh, mountain range, we will find that the ground is hard under our feet, frozen. But there will be little patches where the ice is thin and you'll hear it crunch as you walk. As you look down to see what's going on un underneath your feet, you will see water seeping up. There are springs of water and it's coming through that ice and it will flow and it forms just a tiny little stream that'll flow. There's one here, one here, one here. They're all over the place. And they start flowing down that mountain. At a certain point on the Andes Mountains, those streams converge and they begin to merge together. And as they continue to merge together, the river gets deeper and it gets wider. And from the origin of that great river to its end is 3,600 miles. And the more it flows, the further it goes, the wider it gets, the deeper it gets. That's the Amazon River. 3,600 miles flowing off the precipice of the Andes Mountains into the Atlantic Ocean. When that river reaches the Atlantic Ocean, it pumps 1.4 million gallons of water per second into the Atlantic Ocean. It hits it with such impact, with such impact that the water from the mouth of the Amazon into the ocean is fresh water, 60 miles, fresh water, 60 miles into the ocean. I say that's a pretty powerful river, wouldn't you? I think about that, the most powerful river the strongest river in the world. And I sit down with that imagery going through my mind and I think, I think about that mighty river, the Amazon River, and the water that flows through it and the impact that it has everywhere it goes. And Jesus said, if you will come to me and believe in me, as the scripture has said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Alan Redpath, have you ever read Redpath? Alan Redpath, an old English preacher. I love the old English preachers. Told a story about a man who wanted to buy a Rolls Royce and he went to the Rolls Royce dealership and he said, I want to buy a Rolls Royce. I have cash money. I can pay you cash today for a Rolls Royce, but I want to know everything about the car first. So they went down the list of things about the car. And the salesman thought all questions were satisfied, but the buyer said, I have one more question. What's the horsepower of this car? And the salesman said, you know, no one's ever asked me that question, and I don't know the horsepower of a Rolls Royce. And the man said, well, I'm sorry. I've got money in my pocket, and I like the car. I'd buy the car, but I'm not buying it till I know its horsepower. So the man went in as the car salesmen and dealers will do. And they had a conversation. He came back and he said, sir, I've just discovered that's a company secret. Nobody knows the horsepower of a Rolls Royce. So they were about to lose the sale and the man went back and they dealt with the top manager and the hire manager. Do you know they actually sent a telegram to the, uh, to the uh, home office of Rolls Royce and said, we have a man down here that wants to buy a car. He's not going to buy the car until he knows the horsepower. And we've, all we can hear from you is that it is an undisclosed bit of information. Nobody knows 
the horsepower of the Rolls Royce. We want to sell this car. Please tell us the horsepower of the car. They waited a few moments and sure enough, a message came back. And in great anticipation, they looked to see what is the horsepower of this Rolls Royce. And the answer from headquarters was adequate. Adequate. I like that little story because sometimes people look at me and they say, you don't understand where I am. You don't understand the problems I have. You don't understand my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I am. You don't know what I've done. You just don't understand. My circumstances are different. Nobody can help me. Well, I want to introduce you to someone this morning who is adequate. Yes. Adequate for every situation in your life. Some of those things that Brother Cody talked about a moment ago, I tell you, I've been a pastor walking through those valleys too. And I'm going to tell you something. There's, there's worlds of difference in how the person with Jesus and the person that doesn't have Jesus handles those things. Jesus is adequate. We're going to stand and have a prayer. And then there's going to be a response and invitation time. And your pastor will be here to receive you and to pray with you. And if I'm needed, I can do that too. But I want you to know that you don't have to leave this service this morning saying, well, that was another exercise in religious things, but I didn't get much out of it. I know you got something out of it. We've all already been blessed. But the Word of God tells us that all you need is Jesus. He's adequate. Come to me, he said, and believe in me, as the Scripture said, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let's stand and pray.